we get this idea that from the media and other things, and I used to hate going to church when I was a kid, so I have this residual church is a chore sort of mentality hiding in the back of my brain. And it's such a lie. There's nothing more beautiful than than the family of God, than, than coming and studying His Word, than worshiping Him, coming to a place where we just strive for intimacy with the Savior. That's beautiful, isn't it? There's no other place that I'd rather be. I love it here. Anyways, um, we're studying Acts 10 right now. I, I'm the youth pastor at Willow Park. I've been here for 19 years, and so I know almost all of you, but not all of you. And, um, and we started a pursuit community, it's called, on Sunday evenings. And so we've been studying the book of Acts, and when we got to Acts 10, God really did some work on my heart. Acts 10 is sort of the birth of global mission within the church, but it was also Peter's second conversion, they say. Not into the faith, but they call it his second conversion because his whole heart shifted in Acts 10. It's a real big deal. And for me, as I studied this passage, God really just pointed things out to me. He pointed out biases that I had. He did some spiritual surgery. And so that's what we're going to be studying today. So if you would grab your Bibles and open it up to Acts 10. I love this book. And then we're going to pray. Yeah, so what would you pray with me? So Jesus, God, we recognize that that our wisdom is so limited, Jesus. God, that so often our standard of truth are things that we already believe. And so, Jesus, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, God, that you would enlighten our eyes, God. Jesus, you say that we need eyes to see and ears to hear that are spiritual. God, that your word is foolishness when not interpreted by the Spirit. And so, God, I pray that you'd fill us all individually with your Spirit, God. And God, I pray that corporately that your Spirit would would come down, God, and reveal truth, God. Lord, we recognize that we live in a world that does not know you, God. God, we live in a world that is so blinded, God, by the God of this age. That's what your Word says, that we're blinded, that so many people are walking in complete deception of truth, God. God, you want to free us. You want to enlighten us. So, Spirit, we invite you, and we invite your presence here, God. Amen. You may have seen this uh, video before, but I, I think it's really, it's really relevant to Acts 10 and what we're studying today. So why don't you check this out? This is really powerful. Show us your way. 
I, uh, I hate that video. <laughs> I really hate it. And this is a, a, a huge deal to me. Um, people are not rejecting Jesus. It's really plain and simple. They're, they're rejecting fake copies. And I don't think that Christians are worse than the general population in any of these things. I don't think that, that those who call themselves Christians are worse or more judgmental or are more full of intolerance. I think it's just simply that we claim that we aren't, that, that we are full of truth and life. We sing songs like this little light of mine, and we claim to have this love, but when the world doesn't see it and it's incongruent, then it seems to highlight it, doesn't it? My in-laws, um, they, they're not Christians, and, and they, they sort of view the church in, in a completely different way than I do. Like, it's almost like we're looking at two different things, and I so badly just want them to see truth, to just have a lens that sees with clarity. And then there's all these people around them that then act in complete opposition of Scripture, and it just drives me crazy. Do you guys feel this? You see stories on the news, and you're like, come on! You're misrepresenting us. So often we look south of the border and what's happening there, and we're like, oh, Lord, redeem us. And then we look in the mirror and we have many of the same attitudes as, as the things that we sort of dislike. I went to Briarcrest um, in Saskatchewan and, and one time we, we left the school and we went to Moose Jaw. It was 15 minutes away. We went there to Subway like pretty much daily. And we left the parking lot and there was this native man and he was hitchhiking and it was really cold and we thought, oh man, that is, that's horrible for that guy. And we sort of laughed at it. It's like, ah, oh, that guy's hitchhiking. This is a terrible situation. He's not going anywhere. And, and we go to Moose Jaw, and a couple hours later, we come back, and the guy is still hitchhiking. For, for two or three hours, he's just sat there on the side of the highway as car after car after car goes by him. And hours later, we, we leave the college again, and he's still there. And then there's this feeling of, oh, my goodness. Like, for hours, this guy has been rejected. Just each car representing one more rejection, just one after the next, after the next. And later that night, uh, a bunch of our friends, this, this car full of girls came just running into where we were eating and they're just bawling their eyes out. And this guy, right in front of their car, stepped in front of a semi and took his own life. And they just were so messed up by the fact that they rejected him we felt this incredible weight of the fact that we did the same thing and thought it was kind of funny. The entire college just mourned the fact that there was this man that many people had just rejected, probably because he was native. At that time, there was this radio station that mocked the reserves, and we all sort of were a part of this, just, just thought it was a funny situation. God just broke us that day. And, and I really believe that God wants to do a major work in our country. And he wants to sort of bring just life and restoration. And he wants to bring humanity to each one of us for each other. When Gandhi was a student in England, he was fascinated with Jesus. Gandhi was. He wanted to learn more about Christ. He was very interested. And he went to church to find out more, but... The ushers refused to give him a seat and they told him to worship somewhere else. And this is what he said, quote, 
with his own people. They rejected him at the door. They wouldn't let him in. He wore different clothes. He looked like a man who studied different religion. And so they just rejected him and said, go somewhere else. Go with your own people. And this has been the central issue in the church since day one. Jews hated the Gentiles. Like when we read scripture, it has to be read with that slant that there was this huge divide between the two. The Jews hated them. They viewed the Gentiles as godless and totally different. The Gentiles had very different sexual standards. They had very different standards on what they ate, how they dressed, how they talked, everything. And so the church at the time was just like, forget it. And you might even notice that the, the priests would wear these things on their foreheads called phylacteries. They were these boxes. And if you wanted to be a holier priest, you'd have a bigger phylactery on your forehead. It looked ridiculous. And within this little phylactery, there would be all these rules that they added to the Torah. That you couldn't walk into the house of a Gentile. That you couldn't even walk in the same side of the road as a Gentile. And there was all these restrictions that basically separated themselves from the rest of culture. It was a big problem. They would never touch somebody who is unclean, therefore not Jewish. And then Jesus comes along. He does the opposite. He touches not just Gentiles, but lepers. Whoa, that was a big deal. He's hanging out not just with Gentiles, but prostitutes and the tax collectors. He's touching people who were dead. This was a huge no-no in Jewish culture. He did all of this. The disciples were slow learners, though, and they would, they would never hang out with the Gentile. And, and Peter is slowly starting to get what Jesus was teaching. They called Jesus a friend of sinners, which was a put-down, but Jesus took it as a huge compliment. And Peter's kind of learning. He still wouldn't hang out with the Gentile, but he would hang out with a Jew that was kind of on the outside. The beginning of Acts 10, we find Peter hanging out with a tanner named Simon. We're not talking about somebody that goes down to Island Tan and looks really nice and dark. We're talking about somebody who took a dead animal, removed its skin, and dried it out. A tanner of dead animals. And so as a result of this, he was considered very unclean. And in Jewish culture, he was an outsider. He had to live 50 cubits outside of town. That's about 150 feet outside of town. He had to actually live outside. And by rabbinical law, if a woman found out that her husband was a tanner, <laughs> kind of like, you know, at night would leave the house, sneak around, find a dead animal and tan it, I don't know. She could divorce him. She could actually legally divorce him if she discovered he was tanning on the side. <laughs> it's kind of like, honey, is that hickory I smell? How could you? Unbelievable. So this is where we find Peter in the house of a tanner, and he's probably having to deflect a lot of the criticism. But this man is still a Jew, so it's not that bad. Acts 10 verse 1 says this, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. So this is a Jewish man, sorry, a Gentile man, a centurion, which means that he was a military officer. Now, the Jews hated Gentiles, but even more, they hated Romans. 
They hated anyone associated with the army. These were the people that were putting them down. It was the Romans who were inflicting all of this judgment and pain upon them, so they hated them. The Gentiles, one thing, Romans, another. But this was a man who was, even though he wasn't a Christian, was a devout man and was still praying and asking God for wisdom and encouragement and guidance. And he was actually visited by an angel who said that Peter will enter his house and reveal truth to him. Cornelius is probably thinking, wow, that would be a miracle if Peter would enter my house. But this is what the angel said. Unbelievable. This is a man who's from Caesarea. And you've got to understand that this is where the military was headquartered. So this is like the height of the military complex of, of Rome. And this was one of the centurions. And an angel said, Peter's coming to your house. Peter would never do that. Let's move up to verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. A lot of these houses back in the day, they were quite small, but almost all of them had a place on the top, a little porch area where they would pray and they would eat their meals. Their kitchens were sort of outdoor kitchens in a little courtyard, but they could go up on the roof to get some privacy, and that's where Peter was. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. We hear the word sheet and we sort of think of like a bed sheet, right? Like a little bed sheet's coming down. But the word here is, in, in Greek, was more like a sail. This thing was enormous. This was more of a sail from a large ship. So this would be as large as this entire room. This sheet would come down in this vision and it was just absolutely enormous. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. In the King James, it says, rise, kill, eat. Just three words, one after the next. That's a cool sort of name for a heavy metal band. Rise, kill, eat. (laughs) That's what it says. Peter is appalled at this vision and says this in verse 14, surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. In other words, These were foods that the Gentiles ate. They're sinners. Look at them. Look at their lives. Look at their sexuality. Look at where they come from. There were like 16 or 17 different nations represented around that area. So many visible minorities. And Peter's saying, no way. No way. I am not a sinner. I'm not going down that road. I am set apart. Verse 15 The voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Three times. Oh, this is a rebuke. Remember, remember when Jesus was denied by Peter three times? Remember then when Jesus found Peter being a baby and went back to fishing, and he finds him on the shore, and he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, you know I do. And then he says it the third time, Peter, do you love me? You see, Peter rebelled originally three times. And the rebuke and the restoration was a three-pronged approach in both cases. 
This was no accident. Jesus is saying, Peter, once again, you are running from me. Three times the sheep came down. Three times Jesus pursued Peter. This happened three times, and the sheep was taken back to heaven. Verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. So they're at his house and they're thinking, oh, we're not going near the door. I mean, there's no way we're going near that door. We're going to shout and hopefully he'll invite us in like the angel said. But this is crazy that we're even close to Peter's house. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Verse 21, Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. Oh, we just saw a huge transformation. Peter's entire heart was just shifted in that moment. He invited them in. When God told him originally to do this, he said, surely not. It's the Greek word metamos. Surely not. Medimos. This is really important because when Jesus told Peter that I am going to suffer and die, guess what Peter said? Surely not. Metamos. And what did Jesus say? He said, get behind me, Satan. This is so big. This is almost as big as the work of Jesus on the cross. What Jesus is doing here is as important because it would have stopped with the Jewish people had Peter's heart not shifted. Had it would have been metamos, surely not, and God didn't rebuke, the church would have died that day. But this is for all people. Verse 27, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He's now in a Gentile home, something he never would have done. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I could not call anyone impure or unclean. Do you get that? I can call nobody impure or unclean. These are not Christians. Peter is saying, I can call no one impure or unclean. No one. I can call no one. These were sinners. They did all sorts of bad things. I can call no one impure or unclean. This is what the entire vision is about. This is so beautiful. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objections. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Sent to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. Now this is huge, what's about to be said. 
and now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. They couldn't believe what has happened. They received Jesus and the spirit falls, but no one can believe it in the Jewish world. Paul and Cornelius, sorry, Paul and Barnabas have to come and confirm that it actually has happened. Word is getting back to Jerusalem that it's happened and they're like, no way, no way. Paul, Barnabas, you go and check it out. They watched, went back to Jerusalem and were like, it's true, it's true. God doesn't show favoritism. His spirit has fallen upon these previous sinners. You see, Peter says that God shows no favoritism. If you have your pen, write this word down. It's very important. The Hebrew phrase is prosopolamptis. <laughs> and this is a crazy term. Prosopolamptis. It means lifting the face. That's a strange term, isn't it? He shows no favoritism. He lifts our human face, which is our human identity, which means our race. This is our human identity. And he gives us a divine identity. God does not see race or gender or mental illness or talent or reputation. The King James Version says that God is not a respecter of persons. That's somebody's false identity. Whoa. He does not show favoritism. Prosopolamptus. He's a lifter of our faces, our false identities. There is no outsider in the kingdom. And no one is to be excluded. See, this is what we've done a terrible job with over the years. This is exactly what we've gotten wrong, what Peter did get wrong. We've always believed that by visiting and by showing hospitality and by bringing people in and giving them unconditional love that we are somehow condoning their lifestyle or their sin and we're not. I met a lady who was sexually assaulted by her father as a child and, and it, it messed up her, her sexual identity so badly to the point where she was living in incredible sin and we invited her to church and she said, if I enter the doors of a church, I will light on fire. That's what she said. This is what she has received. This is the understanding that she's gotten from those who follow Christ. But God shows no favoritism. He's a lifter of our faces, of our human identity. He sees his daughter in her. He sees somebody that he deeply loves. And he wants a church that will welcome her in. You see, we're to love people around us. And, and we get this wrong all the time. I was talking to, to Ron Cannon about this when he was an MP and was invited to different things like gay pride parades and all these other things. All these things that seem so difficult as a Christian to navigate. How do you do that as a Christian politician? How do you deal with all these big issues as a Christian? I really believe that we're to love them and pursue them and to bring them to Jesus. And he is the one that transforms and shapes them. That is his role, not our role. Our role is to love without condition and let him transform. We always get that backwards. And I believe that we feel the same way towards so many people groups, and it constantly shifts, doesn't it? 
I mean, we feel so often in our media today that there's a bombing in the Middle East. It's almost like they have to explain if it was a Christian that was killed or if it were Christians that were just killed or if they were Muslims that were killed. Because if it were Muslims, then we don't quite have to care as much. Do you ever notice that? They always explain what their religion was every single time. Or if there's a car accident and somebody's killed, they always have to explain if there was alcohol involved or not. So that if there was alcohol, it'll sort of make us feel a little bit less for that person. Oh, well, then they deserved it. Or if somebody died and there was drugs involved and it was an OD, then it sort of takes us off having to care that much if they OD'd, if they were a drug user. Or if somebody dies, they have to say they had no fixed address because it meant that they were homeless. So then we can say, well, then they made some bad choices, didn't they? But the four corners of this sheet that came down from heaven represent the four corners of our globe. North, south, east, and west. This represents the whole earth, which means that God intends that everybody can be made clean. Every single person. There is not one exception to who God is pursuing. The sheet is the whole world coming down. And God said, do not call anyone impure that I will make pure and can make pure. C.S. Lewis, I love this. He says, next to the blessed sacrament, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Oh, I want you to just imagine how that could look if we started walking that out. Just viewing everybody as just this beautiful person created in the image of God. We can see them as he sees them. He's the lifter of faces. You see, Scripture says he doesn't look at outward appearance, does he? But we do. We do. We look at outward appearance as far as the decisions that they've made and the choices that we have made. But C.S. Lewis says we can't judge because we don't know what people have done with the raw material that God has given them. We just see the outward workings of what we have been given. I want to show you guys a video, and um, it just reveals so much about, I guess, the human heart and just the human condition. So check this out. Hi. Hi, how are you? Don't, don't worry, I'm just, uh, I'm really sorry to start you, but I just want to give you this. Here you go. Why? Why not? I just want to help out. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. That's very nice of you. What's your name? Uh, my name is Kareem, and yours? Uh, Mark, God bless you. God no problem, man. You. Nice to meet you, Mark. Nice to meet you, too. Um, do you want to sit? Um, sit? Just, just for a minute, maybe? Yeah, okay, of course. Thanks. I got nothing to do. How you doing? I know. I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, I know it's really hard. Do you have a minute? Can you just can you just stay here for, for one minute? Yeah, just one minute. Don't yeah. go anywhere. Uh, um, but where, where are you going though? I'll be right back. I'll be right back. Just wait for one minute. Okay. Okay. Hey, how you doing, Mark? What's this? 
You didn't have to. The money was for you, man. For you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much, man. Of course I will. Oh, this is my favorite. Thank you so much, Mark. But you really didn't have to, though. Hey, man, I'm... Well, if it makes you happy. Oh, I love this. <laughs> I'm glad you're here with me. I'm glad, too. It's lonely out walk by and get warm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that people ignore you, but, you know, you are definitely alive, you're breathing, and that's all that matters, and you're just as important as anyone else out here. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, man. It's great to sit out here with someone. Yeah, yeah that's good. It definitely is, man. Man, well, that, that is the truth right there. People are lonely. They just want someone to sit with them. And this isn't just our homeless community. I think we could say this is pretty much everybody in Kelowna. They just want our presence. They just want our time. C.S. Lewis said, Our neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. I think so often we feel far from God as Christians, and we wonder why, and it's because we were created to be in community, weren't we? We were created to be the light of the world, which means that we have to go to dark places to be the light of the world. If we're not hanging out with people that need love and we feel just distant from God, it shouldn't be a surprise. Jesus said, go into all the world, the whole world. He was talking about the pagan world. And he says, and then I will be with you. This is why Peter stayed in, and just lived with Cornelius. He just stayed and lived with them. He moved in. In scriptures, hospitality is king. It's because people want our presence. They don't just want our money. They just don't want our prayers. They want our time. They want. They just want a, somebody beside them to walk through life with them. There is this doctor named Sheila Cassidy, and and she gets a lot of criticism for how she runs her practice because she spends a lot of time with patients even as they're dying. She'll give them their diagnosis and, and there will be a couple weeks left for them to live. And instead of moving on and getting more patients, she'll actually be with them to the moment they die. And they asked her about this. And she says this. She said, it's a prophetic statement of the value of every person, regardless of class or beauty or intellect. They have nothing to offer the world, but by being with them until the second they die... It's a prophetic statement of value. This is what Mother Teresa did. She just, she found people and she almost never brought them to a place where they're healthy again. She found people who were struggling with AIDS and leprosy and you name it. And none of them, like, you know, came back to live a normal life. She ushered them into the presence of Jesus, though. It's a prophetic statement of their value. There's one of our youth pastors is Sean Pauls and he decided to make a huge shift in his life and and this is the shift that he made. He said, I still want to be the youth pastor for senior high, but I also want to work in construction. <laughs> and we're like, man, that's a strange decision. 
And, um, and I asked him the other day, because we prayed for his hands, he's, he started to get really bad carpal tunnel, and he's having a hard time at work. And I said, how's work going? And he says, oh, it's hard work. You know, my hands are doing really bad. But he said, it's awesome. He says, I get to spend time with all these guys and really love them. Every, every day he wakes up, he goes to work, and he thinks, I get to just be with these guys that don't know Jesus. I just get to be with them. I get to encourage them. I get to bring them lunch. I get to pray for them. The way that he views his life is so different, and I love it. He says, this is what I'm made for, right? I was like, yeah, that's, yeah. He had a hard time working at the church because there's so many Christians at the church. (laughs) He says, this is why I love public school so much, because I just get to go and be with people and to just spend my lunchtime with maybe people that don't have anyone else to spend their lunch with. And there's this other couple in our in our community and they've started doing hockey with we go downtown on Mondays and we go to the mission at lunch and we hand out flyers road hockey tennis courts three o'clock and then we just hit up downtown and we hand out these flyers to everybody and at three o'clock just the best people in the world show up to the tennis court we give them hockey sticks and oh my goodness the road hockey game is unbelievable there's a lot of bloody shins at the end of that game the slap shots are crazy They've broken like 10 of my sticks. It's so fun. The high fives, the nicknames, it is unbelievable to just bring humanity and presence to people who just feel like nobody cares. We'll go up to them in the park and, and, and they'll be sitting there with all their bags and all their, their stuff and we'll hand them a sheet of paper that says, do you want to play hockey? And they're like, well, you want to play, play with me? Like, you just want to be with me? Like, you don't want anything out of me to just play? It's, a, it's amazing. I love it. Calvin says this, and I love it. There are no ordinary people. We are not to consider what people deserve of themselves, but look at the image of God in them, which exists in all of us. <laughs> Paul in Romans 14 says the same thing. He says, to view all people as those for whom Christ died. To view all people that way. Paul had a shift in his own heart. And suddenly he's viewing all people for somebody worthy of the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus died for that person. If they're receiving it right now or not, he still did it. You see, God has freed us to enjoy everybody. Do you get how awesome that is? To lavish love on people without feeling like we're approving of their lifestyle. He's he's freed us to do that. Listen to how Acts 10 ends. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. You see, Jesus is the one who will judge the living and the dead. He's the one, not us. It's him. It's his responsibility. He doesn't minimize sin. He just clarifies who is the judge and who is not. He commands us to preach to all people... This is the Greek word, kariso. This is an important word. It means a king's herald. This is the guy on the horse who goes and he sends the message from the king to whoever the king intends the message to be for. That's what a king's herald is, the horse guy with the little letter. You see what I'm saying? And when a king sends a messenger on a horse, that messenger doesn't question who the king sent the message to 
He doesn't say, I don't know, king, maybe you shouldn't send it to that person. And he also doesn't question what the message is. He just does what the king says. And this is a message that is for all people. Listen to the church in Revelation 7. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Oh, all nations, all tongues, all tribes. And you know what's really interesting as I studied this passage? Is that each one of us puts us in the place of Peter. We're all like, yeah, we need to be more open to people. We need to spend time with them. We need to view them that same way. Lifting of the face, divine identity. But in this Acts 10, we are not Peter. We are the Gentile. That's who we are. We are the ones that by grace have been invited in. We are the ones that are the sinners, the outsiders. We're the ones that God is saying, Peter, you got to be open to those people from Kelowna. And he's like, oh, I don't know. And so because we have received so much grace, it puts us in a different place of giving incredible grace to others as well. There was a man named Shay, and he was in South America. And he was a doctor that worked in a leper colony. And in this leper colony, it was right on the Amazon River. And and on one side, there were the nuns and the doctors. And on the other side of the Amazon were all the lepers. They were living in quarantine on the other side of the river. And one night, it was his birthday. And they threw an incredible party for him with cake and music and dancing. And as they were celebrating, he suddenly realized that he is celebrating this beautiful time in his life, but on the other side of the river are all of these people being excluded from the party. They can't get over to this side of the river. And so Shay runs down to the river, and he sees that all the boats are gone, and decides to swim across the river, the Amazon. Almost sure death. He eventually makes it to the other side, and all of the lepers are waiting, and they they embrace See, what he did in that moment was so profound. He risked his life to spend his birthday with the lepers because he recognized the power of his presence. He recognized the power of simply saying, I want to be present with you. And we live in a world of divide. We need to cross some rivers, to sit with people, to invite them into our homes. These beautiful people around us are sacred. They're sacred. And we've been given an invitation in this chapter to just lavish love. Do you guys get how beautiful that is? We just get to be the king's herald. We don't have to worry about judging. We don't have to worry about anything but simply being recklessly lovers of sacred people. I love the scriptures and how they set us free. I'm going to encourage you. This is Super Bowl Sunday, and I'm I'm guessing that some of you guys are going to have some parties. Maybe think about some of the neighbors around your house and who you might be inviting over. Maybe think about how you start to spend your time, like with your your physical presence at work, and how you view your coworkers, even sometimes how we view our children, how we view people that are at school with us, how we view our relatives. 
why don't we pray? And I'm going to invite you to take communion with us. And um, and it, it's such a beautiful statement, isn't it? Communion of laying down our lives. Jesus said that I'm going to lay down my life on the cross. They're going to they're going to beat my body. It's going to be broken for you. And He says, I want you to take this, and in taking it, you're doing the same. You're dying to your sinful nature. And it's a time where we come and we just confess our sin. Maybe confess those people who we've considered impure or unclean or that we're better than. And then he took some wine and he said, they're going to pour out my blood. I want you to take this and remember. And in doing so, you're doing the same. You're also surrendering. You're also saying that I'm, I'm laying down my life where I'm the king and I live for myself. And I'll tell you what, it's the most beautiful thing we can do. So I invite you to do that, to just come up, take it back to your seat, and as we worship, just take it when you feel ready to do that. So let's pray, and then we'll take communion together and worship. Jesus, I thank you so much for your word, God. God, I thank you that you have made us first and foremost, God. God, you've made us clean before you. Jesus, we recognize that there are no ordinary people in Kelowna. Not one. God, that your image exists within all of us, God. And God, as Paul says, that we're to consider all people for those who you died for, God. I pray that you'd give us a heart, God. I pray that for some of us that this would be like a second conversion that Peter encountered, God. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray that we would be a church that represents your heart. God, that people would look at us and say, we are so like Christ. That we represent his heart for people. His heart for the nations, Jesus. I pray that you just stir within us a love, God. We know that your spirit produces love within us, God. It's the most dominant fruit of your spirit. God, I confess that so often that I am selfish, God. It's the fruit of my flesh. God, so often I'm full of pride. It's the fruit of my flesh. Jesus, I pray that by your spirit you would soften our hearts. We love your word, Jesus. We love your church. Help us represent you well.